This is Captain Tepen of the USS Challenger, a play-by-email RPG with UFOP Starbase 118. And when my crew and I aren't out gallivanting around the cosmos, we're listening to Rico and Treks in Sci-Fi. Well, thank you very much, Captain Tepen, for that great intro. Of course, yes, this is Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast number 118 for April the 29th, 2007. This week we're going to do a uh, interview with a uh, Star Trek off author, excuse me, Star Trek author Jeff Ayers, who's written a, a wonderful Star Trek uh, compendium type book. That'll be the primary focus for the show, along with some other news and information. Uh, so let's uh, get started. I am Locutus. challenging me to a duel if you have the courage I will do the job I've been ordered to do to the best of my ability sir We'll continue to follow our directive, to seek out new worlds and explore space. Stand by to receive our transmission. Welcome to the show again. This is Rico, and this is Trex and Sci-Fi, as you well know. Hopefully, uh, for those out there, our uh, returning members know all that, and the new people that are listening maybe for the first time, they're wondering, who the heck is this Rico guy? Well, longtime Star Trek fan, Star Wars fan, science fiction nut, uh, collector, and, and all-around great guy. And uh, I, I'm already talking like uh, about myself in the third person, so there you go. Hey, before we go on, of course, I've got to say this week's uh, drink of the day or the morning is uh, Gatorade, of course, and it is uh, fruit punch, fruit punch flavored, a red kind of weird kind of red color thing. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to the show, everyone. It's going to be a, a very packed show, a longer than normal show. I can already tell you that uh, yesterday I had the great opportunity to uh, do a, uh, a Skype interview call with uh a guy named Jeff Ayers, who lives out in the, the Washington area, Washington State area. And uh, he wrote a book called Star Trek Voyages of Imaginations, which is basically, uh, it's a collection of, uh, he looked at every Star Trek book basically ever published in, in the 40-year history of Star Trek. And he's written a, a, a great sort of reference guide. He got interviews with authors. And it, it's really an amazing book. I, I picked it up a while ago been looking through it a lot and it, Jeff was great to talk to so that interview is going to be coming up here shortly and I don't want to talk about about that too much because obviously you can listen to the interview and hear what we have to say but I think you'll really find it interesting and and how much uh, work and effort went into this book that Jeff did. I don't want to spend a lot of time on other topics and things before we get to the interview because it's about an hour just for the interview 
But I do want to mention a few things. Uh, after the interview, I'll, I'll come back on the podcast and, and tell you what's coming up in the future on the podcast for the next few weeks. I've got some uh, business travel coming up, so I'll tell everyone about that uh, after the interview uh, towards the end of the show. I'm not going to really be looking at a collectible or anything this week, but I will have some comments about collectibles in general, uh, something I want to pass on to everyone. I do want to mention on the Treks in Sci-Fi forums, which can be found at treksf.com, the uh, RPG game, which is sort of an online role-playing game set in the Star Trek universe, uh, we kind of had one phase of it, and another phase of it is starting up again. So I, I encourage everyone, if you are interested in that, if you're on the forums, or even if you're not, sign up for the forums and check out the uh, Star Trek RPG online game. It's a very friendly thing to do. Basically, there's a little storyline going, and you, and you play sort of a character that you invent. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I encourage everyone to check it out. I also do have to mention one thing. Uh, Heroes, the uh, great NBC uh, TV series, came back last Monday uh, for the first time in almost a couple of couple of months. I guess it was gone, and it's just amazing. I, I've got to say, if you're into uh, you know sci-fi, fantasy, comic books, uh, or just into a good TV show, you know, je- just check out Heroes. It's it's one of the best series on right now. I'm really enjoying it a lot. They've really uh, kind of stepped up a, even uh, a higher notch and a higher level since they came back. Everything's really starting to fall together, and I'm not going to give anything much away about what's going on on the show, but definitely check out NBC Heroes, which at least in the U.S. area plays Monday nights on NBC. Okay, before we get to the main interview, I do have two audio calls uh, that I want to play from two different people. Uh, the first one, it goes back a few uh, he sent it in just last week, but this one is some commentary on the Phantom Menace Star Wars uh, podcast and movie. So I want to play this. This is from our friend John Semlak, who's in uh, Russia. So listen to his comments on the Phantom Menace. Hello, Rico. This is John Semlak calling from Russia. And I'm sending in my comments about podcast number 115, about the first episode of the Star Wars trilogy, The Phantom Menace. I'm basically sending in an opposing point of view to what I felt was a bit of unbridled enthusiasm about the movie. I did not like The Phantom Menace, and here's why. I could go on and on about reasons that have been stated at length in mainstream movie reviews and the like. Uh, Wooden dialogue, uh, acting that while it was done by very good actors generally, didn't seem to come out very well. Or a story which was a bit hokey at times. I mean, a... An eight-year-old, or however old he is, piloting a ship and saving the day in the final battle just didn't work very well for me. But that's actually secondary to me. The, the primary issue is the fact that not only the first episode, but the whole prequel trilogy is a story that should not have been told. I think one of the great things about the original Star Wars trilogy is that it tells a small yet pivotal part of a much larger epic tale. The fact that the we begin at episode four it puts us in medias race, a classic storytelling motif. And that the, that the first three episodes are untold gives us an intriguing mystery. The, the events are referred to in the original trilogy by Obi-Wan or Yoda or Darth Vader sometimes. Of course, as fans, we want to have the complete story. But I think that, that, that telling that story just take something away from the original series. And I think that if, it, if we really wanted to tell that story, it should have been left to 
perhaps secondary canon stories like novels or comics or something like that. So that's my take on the episode one, The Phantom Menace, and why I did not like it. Thank you very much. Rick, bye-bye. Well, thanks very much for uh, for that very interesting uh, uh, sort of take on The Phantom Menace, John. I uh, I really pretty much agree with you, actually. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a very interesting... Uh, kind of commentary it's something that people don't say a lot but has has always kind of impressed me and i think i kind of touched on it a little bit about the midichlorians and and certain things when i was talking about the phantom menace but yeah it does definitely take away a little bit of the mystery of the whole setup of you know how the empire took over and and the emperor and vader of course so i yeah i definitely agree with you i I, the only thing i'd have to say is at least for me personally it didn't really take away from the the charm and the, uh, you know, since I grew up with the original trilogy, I guess it, for me at least it didn't take a whole lot away from those movies. I can still watch those and and still really be kind of swept away by by the, you know, in that time where I didn't know a lot of the detail that the, the prequels give you. But thanks for your uh, call. Very interesting commentary. Okay, I've got one more uh, here to play. This is from our friend Duffster over at ReadMoreSciFi.com, and he has a another little book review uh, about the book Spock Messiah. So listen to Duffster. Hey, everyone. This is Duffster, and this is your Star Trek book review, brought to you by ReadMoreSciFi.com. Today's book, we're going to talk about the third Bantam book that was published called Spock Messiah. This was published back in 1976, and it was by Theodore R. Cogswell and Charles A. Spano, Jr. I consider this one of the better early band of books. Come on, you got Spock as the, the main antagonist in the story, so how can it go bad? The basic story is that the Enterprise is researching a new planet, and they come up with a new technology called a DOP which lets them basically tap into the planet's citizenry and take over their personas so they can fit in better and learn more about the planet. What they discover is the DOP technology is not perfect and the Kiros citizens that they have decided to doppelgang start inflicting their personalities upon the Enterprise personnel. And also what happens is that Spock ends up being doppelganged with a madman. So as you can imagine, a madman with Spock's intellect leads to an incredibly smart and evil villain. Meanwhile, a radiation front is approaching the Enterprise and the evil Spock has stolen the dilithium crystals. This forces Kirk to concoct a plan to, to recover both Spock and the dilithium crystals. This is a really good early Star Trek novel and I encourage everyone to go out and read it if they haven't already. I gotta give this one four out of five live long and prosperous. It's full of good action and good characters. So let me leave you with this. This is Duffster and remember to read more science fiction. Ta ta Well thanks a lot for that great review of uh, Spock Messiah Duffster. It's uh it's a book that I've read. I've got it on my shelf actually still to this day. It's I, I was very into the early Star Trek novels, the Bantam books, especially since uh, 
that was in a time in an era where there wasn't uh, really any new Star Trek coming out on the air. So it's uh, yeah, it's a great book. Definitely, people should pick it up. And uh, well, with that, that's a good segue into our uh, our interview with Jeff Ayers, uh, who has looked at every Star Trek book ever written. So I am going to uh, sort of sign off temporarily, or well, I'll be back interviewing Jeff here in a moment. And so everyone sit back, be comfortable. It's uh, a fairly long interview, but I think we hit a lot of subjects that are very interesting. So here we go with the interview with Jeff Ayers. Hello, everyone. This is Rico, and we've got a special guest on the show this week. Uh, he's a Star Trek book author. His name is Jeff Ayers, and he's written a uh, a really comprehensive and wonderful book uh, about all the various Star Trek novels and publications that have come out over the last 40 years. Uh, the name of it is uh, called Star Trek Voyages of Imagination, the Star Trek Fiction Companion. And uh, yeah, again, his name is Jeff Ayers. Jeff, are you there? I'm here. Great, great. So, um, well, the first thing I wanted to ask you about this uh, about this book that you wrote, uh, just to kind of go back a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit, and, and everyone that's listening to the show, uh, a little bit about uh, your uh, kind of first introduction to Star Trek in general. Uh, maybe you know what got you interested in the show way back when, and kind of uh, you know how you you know stayed with it over the years, and then we'll get into the book a little bit more. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show. I'm a big fan of it. I'm well, it. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time. No problem at all. Um, I've been a fan of Star Trek since I was a small kid. In fact, I'm as old as Star Trek. I like to tell people that. Yeah, that's the um, thing I like to say, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in uh, Spokane, Washington, and if you've ever been to Spokane, Washington, you know that um, you just want to keep going. It, it's one of those towns that people say, well, it's a nice place to visit. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, Star Trek was rerun every day, and I just happened to catch an episode one day, and I said, man, that was really cool. And I found a book that listed all of the episodes. So I made a nice little chart, and, you know, where all the episode names down, and then I made an effort to watch them, you know, and make sure I saw them all. And that was, I was probably about eight years old at the time. Yeah, back in back in the days where you couldn't just pull them off of a shelf and watch them anytime you wanted to. That's true. Yeah. In, in fact, um, I was sick one day and I accidentally fell asleep, and so then I had to wait for the next rerun cycle to catch that one episode I missed. And that could and be, of course, you know, it was, um, at those the space times. Yeah, at those times that was sometimes you know weeks, even months apart. Some you know in some places. Oh yeah, it, it was months in my case, and then like I said, there was the space hippies episode, so. Uh, or Way to Eden, let's be, you know, the official name of it. So yeah, let, once let, I finally saw it, it was like, what, what was the point of that? So you you basically grew up kind of, you know, basically in a similar age and time as I did, where you grew up on watching uh, the reruns of the original series in, in syndication when they were being broadcast that way with, uh, you know, no real new episodes, just these reruns showing up. And then that... Uh, so with the the original series is the way you started off, and uh, what what was it I guess about the original series that uh, that really drew you in? Was it the more the characters or the stories or, or what or part? It was sort of a combination of the both. Um, I really enjoyed the characters; they're all uniquely interesting in one way or another. But the stories themselves were fascinating. You had 
you know, wonderful adventure. You actually had uh, some, you know, stay there special effects at the time. Mm-hmm. Star yep. Foam Rocks and yep. everything. But the, the thing that amazed me the most about it, and the reason why I feel comfortable showing it to my son today, is there was not a sense of going out, finding something and killing it or taking it over. It was peace. There was the prime directive. Um, it, it, it was nice. So even with all the action-adventure things going around, there still was time to, you know, stop and think think about things. Right, right. Yeah, the, uh, you know, they, uh, they weren't really a shoot-first, ask-questions-later kind of show, which uh, seems to be more, uh, I guess, the norm these days. But it's, uh, yeah, quite a bit of a, a change of, of pace. And especially, I think, at the time, these, you know, the reruns were being shown quite a bit different and a more of a thinking kind of show than what was on in general on the air you know you had shows like uh oh what was it the love boat era and other things like that you know and then you had star trek so uh not like it is these days with all the different sci-fi shows on on the air where you've got a lot of uh a lot of choice uh, you know at least there was star trek but uh and and it was available and, and definitely made you think so so the characters and the stories and the action elements and now, were you? Um, did you get into when Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and all the other series uh, came around? Were you fans of that those shows as well? I was. Um, in fact, I remember sitting down with um, my roommate, who I just met. Um, I, I'd moved down for college at the time. Okay. And Next Gen premiered, and so I sat down with my roommate and we both discovered, hey, we love Star Trek. And then it became a ritual for us to actually sit down and watch those shows. And I became a fan even though it took, you know, if you're honest about it, it really took a couple of years for Next Gen to actually get really good. Right, to kind of get into its own groove, I like to always say, where they really, uh, the story started to come together and the characters, I think, really started to to shine. Yeah, and sort of the same for Deep Space Nine as well. Um, it took a while for it to find its groove, but once it did, it was it was a pretty terrific show as well. Yeah, and exactly. I'll, I'll admit I'm one of those people who's seen every episode and has them all. So, of the uh, up through uh, Voyager and Enterprise as well, were yes. you? Yeah, okay. I, I've seen them all. I have them all on DVD. I originally had them all on videotape because <laughs> I was taping them regularly. So yeah, don't you hate it with all these new formats? You, you kind of uh, I, I'm a little scared with the whole. I've got quite a bit, of course, as well on 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 DVD of of Trek and other things, and I'm a little scared of all these new formats. It's like uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily ready to buy uh, buy all these things again on HD. You know, I, I just. Uh, it's kind of the minute you get everything and you get you what you think you like in your collection, and then they come up with something new. I guess it's. Uh, um, business and, and everything, but uh, it is nice to be able to have them available. My wife likes to say, what way have they found to suck more money out of my wallet now? Yeah, I think my wife says pretty much the same thing <laughs> when it comes to uh, Trek and, and, and these kind of things. So so you followed the shows, you were, uh, you've watched them all. Uh, would you say that you're, uh, w- which series, I mean, you grew up with the original series, so I guess I'm kind of assuming that might be kind of the one closest uh, to your heart, uh, or, or, or is you it one of the it. other? Yeah, that, that one just has the fondest memories for me. And even now when I go back and watch the others, that one still just makes me smile. Yeah. Especially you know, when I watch shows like Doomsday Machine, 
or Devil in the Dark. You know, just oh. <laughs> Great yeah, stuff. you know, it's they, they've done these. I don't know if you've uh, seen, but, you, you know, they're doing these re-released ones with the enhanced effects and things. And uh, mm-hmm. what, what I'm not noticing after watching several of these, and, and then, uh, you know, you can tell me if uh, what you think, but the um, what I'm noticing is it they don't, it, it's kind of cool and it's kind of neat with these new effects, but what I'm finding is it doesn't really matter that much. I'm finding that... You know, I never really watched the, the the show for how the Enterprise looked when it was orbiting a planet or, or whatever. That was okay, and it looked good enough. But it was the stories and the characters, really, that I was watching it for. Um, you, you know, you could almost take all those little shots of space and things like that out, except when they really, you know, some of the episodes required it for, you know, a, a certain battle. But that wasn't really what uh, the primary thing was in most of the episodes. But I, I'm finding they're kind of cool with these new effects, but... It's not really that critical, you know what I mean? I, does that make sense? Uh, oh no! In fact, I completely agree with you. Um, th- that emphasizes how great the show was, right? Because yeah. they can go in and update all those effects and make it look really cool. But you're right; it doesn't really matter. Yeah, the exactly. They're still good. Yeah, it's still uh, it, to me. It's still the stories, and, and some of them are so classic and timeless now after seeing them so many different times. But. Um, well, uh, well, that's. Uh, I was going to say, Doomsday Machine looked phenomenal with the new effects. Yeah, I, that one yeah. they really outdid themselves on. I have to say that one was, you know, it was an episode that was very, um, you know, there was quite a bit of the episode that was emphasizing what was going on, you know, with the Doomsday Machine and the constellation and all that. So, uh, adding some better and nicer effects to that did kind of punch it up and make a, a, a difference there. But in general, most of the episodes, you know, three quarters or more of them. It's not really that big a thing, so right, it's right. Uh, which still almost disturbs me more to say, oh, they're going to release these on HD, these enhanced ones. Oh yeah, I'll be a sucker. I'll buy them anyway. But, oh, you, you know I will too. <laughs> just to see, you know, it, it, the nice thing that that people don't maybe pay much as much of attention to is is just they're also the actual episode with the actors on the ship and all that. The the visual and, and audio, you know, the, the video and the audio is being enhanced and digitally cleaned up too so not only do they have these little added effects but they've also cleaned up and made the episodes look probably better than they ever have probably better than they did even when they originally aired so so that's kind of an added thing and an added bonus yeah and of course what this will probably lead to is um cleaning up the other shows as well i could see that you know, next generation will be next, and then they'll go back and do Deep Space Nine again. You know? Yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah. You know, when I do the, uh, it's interesting that you say that because when you do, when, when I've been doing the podcast over these, you know, months and, and so forth, and I watch uh, probably especially Next Generation, I, I was noticing that you know at the time these effects looked pretty cool, but compared to you know the year two thousand and seven and what they can do with computers in that. Uh, they yeah they're uh, they could definitely enhance those as well. I'm not really looking forward to the same situation again of having to buy all those again. But it's uh, they aren't quite as as slick as I remember them. You know sometimes in some cases sometimes they were towards the later seasons. But some of the earlier ones uh, could have been a little you know could definitely be enhanced. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get back. Uh, let's get to the to the main uh, reason that you're here, and I'll let you, uh, or I'll tell you uh, how I first came upon your book a little bit, a couple of things about it, because we were talking about that before we started recording. But uh, a, a couple things came to mind for me uh, as far as your book goes. Um, 
I did see it uh, in a, uh, I believe it was in a, maybe in a magazine or way back when it was first uh, coming out, uh, you know, talking about it and maybe an advertisement. So I knew a little bit about it that way. I'd also seen it in the uh, the local bookstore, like a Borders on the shelf. Uh, uh, probably, I'd say I pr- probably first saw it on the shelf maybe uh, late last year, late 2006. It and came out in November. It yeah. did? Okay, yeah. It was probably around Christmas. I, you know, that's I, I tend to stay away from shopping in stores more than I used to. A lot of it I do online. But during the Christmas time, you know, you you know, season, you're usually out at the stores a little more. So that's probably when I saw it the first time. And then um, uh, somebody on the forums, the Treks in Sci-Fi forums, he had posted a uh, magazine, not a magazine, I'm sorry, a newspaper, I think, article interview that you did, maybe for a, a local newspaper. It was and, for the Seattle Times. Seattle Times, okay. Yeah, and uh, his name, I think, is Rick Moyer that... Uh, Posted that he lives in in your area, I believe, and he uh, he posted that up on the forums, and it looked it was a very interesting article, and I think it pointed uh, to your website uh, and, and gave uh, some information there to contact you, and then I just emailed you, and uh, and that's how uh, that's how I hooked up and, and noticed your book and uh, set up the interview. So to uh, to step back, uh, what? Um, what first, I guess the, the the probably the obvious question that most people would ask would be what what gave you the idea or how'd you get going on deciding to uh, basically create a uh, a Star Trek uh, book encyclopedia or a book about all the Star Trek books? What uh, what started that for you? Um, well, I, I'm a um, fan of the bulletin boards and the forums, and I like to go in, especially the Trek literature ones, okay. and uh, browse around and read them. And I was noticing a pattern where people would say, hmm, I wonder what this author was thinking when they wrote this book. And also, like, well, is this book any good? You know, that sort of thing. And it was sort of a constant set of questions I was seeing on the boards. And so one day as I was doing that, I thought, man, someone should write this book that is an encyclopedia of all the books, and also have a chance to talk to the authors and see what inspired them to write their books. Right, and that, you know, kind of like a nice, a nice handy reference guy, but uh, the thing I really noticed as I was looking through your book after I picked it up uh, was it's not just the reference guy that you, you went through and and bought, or not, sorry, bought, I don't know where that word came from, sorry, but you <laughs> went through all, the, yeah. the, the effort of, of talking to a lot of the authors of the books themselves. You didn't just give a little, you know, a few paragraph description about what this book was about, but there's a lot of good information. So you, um, so basically, you're on these boards. A lot of questions people had, you know, what this book is about, and and how does this fit into things? And then that gave you, you know, this idea. Hey, how come there isn't one? And you know, when I uh, noticed your book for the first time, I also thought the same thing because obviously I've been into Star Trek a long time, and I've read a lot of the novels and and have quite a few of them. And I, I when I did find out about your book i i kind of you know hit my forehead and said gosh I, I can't believe it's been this long there's all kinds of other star trek reference material out there and it, it was kind of almost to me i like i can't believe no one after 40 years never you know nobody ever did this until now well i i was surprised as well and when i decided to actually attempt to do this i uh, went out and did research i'm a librarian by the way so Research is something I like to do. Right, okay. Um, and what I when I did the research to actually write a book proposal 
you know, obtain an agent and submit my proposal to Pocket Books. Um, I learned after it was sold that I was the first person that actually wanted to talk to the authors as well and create sort of a history of the books, not just an encyclopedia, maybe listing the new characters and stuff like that. Right. I wanted more of a history. And the reason I wanted to do the history was I wanted to create a book that was fun for the fans of the books. I wanted to create sort of a writer's guide. How do you write a Star Trek novel? If you read my book, you'll get an idea of how to do that. And then also um, a good reference book for both librarians and for bookstore owners because Star Trek is one of those things that... You know, there's so many of them. How do you keep them organized? Oh, yeah, and, definitely. I mean, there's, uh, I think, oh, let's see, maybe even at a Borders, which doesn't at all carry everything that's uh, out, uh, even currently out. But, I mean, they have probably two whole shelves full of uh, of Trek novels. And it's not usually like there's ten copies of anything. It's like maybe one or two copies of a book. So right. there's a, there's a ton out there. Well, and the majority of the books are out of print anyway, so... Sure, sure. Yeah, there's uh, yeah. there's quite a few that are out uh, that, that haven't been printed in, in forever. I don't even know, you know, off the top of my head, but how often, I mean, do do a lot of these older books, I mean, I, I think they've been reprinting some of the older ones. Didn't they start to do that? They, they do that occasionally. Um, for Star Trek's 40th, there was, I think, four or five that were reprinted. And they were some of the really good novels that they did that with. Right, okay. So yeah, you, and that, that, I think they're going to probably do that again when um, this fall falls. falls. Uh, when this fall comes around, because um, it's the 20th anniversary of Next Generation. Yes, exactly. Right, they've got old, the. F- I tell you. <laughs> yeah, it is hard to believe that it's, you know. 40 for Trek, it never really sounds that bad to me just because I know it started before uh, I really got into it and, and only caught it when it came into the rerun era, but 20 years, I can still remember uh, very clearly uh, where I was, who was with me when I watched the premiere of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. So it's, uh, yeah, yep. 20 like years for that. Before, yes. So the uh, So tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, how, how tricky and how difficult and the time involved about going through and doing this kind of a, a, a huge project like this in contacting these authors that maybe, uh, you know, haven't been uh, heard from in a while, some of the earlier authors and things like that. I mean, how did you, uh, how did you even approach something of that, of that magnitude, I guess? Well, I, I sort of was fooled. When I signed the contract, I assumed that the publisher would have contact information for most everybody. And ah, okay. I, I was proved wrong, <laughs> and that was surprising. <laughs> you were like, okay, now you guys hand me the list of all the authors, their phone numbers, their email addresses, and you're and they're like, what? What list? Exactly. Anything prior to 1996, they did not have in their database. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So for the first 30 years of Star Trek publishing, um, I had to track these people down myself. Wow, wow, that uh, that must have been uh, fairly tricky. Uh, you know, at least we're in the days of the Internet. So Without hopefully... the Internet, this book would have not been written. Yeah, um, yeah. I used Google. I used everything I could possibly think of to track people down. And nine times out of ten, if I found somebody, the first question I would ask is, who do you know who's written a Star Trek novel? Oh, okay. 
And okay. the idea, and, and you know, they would say, well, I know this person. And, oh, would you have them contact me, please? And so it sort of became, you know, like a round robin. I'd find one person, and they'd send me somewhere else. And so it was sort of you were making that, connections, kind of making connections in the in the book uh, world and authors and things like that. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and trying to track down the Bantam authors, especially. And when I say Bantam, I'm talking about the first Star Trek novels that were written before Pocket Books got the license. Right, the, er- the early them. ones. The ones that I actually, yeah. when I was reading, I'll, I'll let you know, uh, I don't know, maybe you're the same, but the uh, those are the ones that I actually was able to keep up with. I've got all those, I've read all those, when they weren't coming out quite as often as they, they do, or, or they did in the later years, but they've slowed well, a little bit. At one bit. point, they were publishing two books a month with an occasional hardcover thrown in. So right, two exactly. Or three books a month. Yeah. And because of all the shows they had. Yes. Yeah, it, it is hard to keep up. Um, and it was hard to read them all as well. Um, but, um, yeah, it... With so many novels, you're um, you're absolutely right. Um, it's just hard to keep up. But with the Bantam books, there was nobody that I knew that knew who even edited the books. Okay. So I had to do a lot of digging, and I finally found someone who knew knew somebody else, and it so happens they knew who edited the books. Oh, okay. And now did so I thought, oh, that's going to solve the problem. Was, and was, was Bantam Frederick folded Cole. into somebody else, or did they become another company, or, or what? Uh, oh, with... no, Bantam is still around. They just oh, lost they? the license to Pocket. Oh, okay, all right. When the motion picture came out. Right, the first one. okay. Yeah. Um, oh, so um, science fiction author Frederick Pohl edited the Star Trek novels, and I'm a huge fan of his books, so it's yeah. an honor to talk yeah, to him. Yeah, he's a great author. And the first thing he tells me is he hated editing the Star Trek books, and he didn't have any clue who even wrote them. <laughs> Immediately, okay. it's like, oh, now i got to figure out some other way to do it. So, But I was very fortunate. I was able to pretty much find everybody who was alive. And, um, yeah, in one case, I actually found them using a phone book from the wow. Pennsylvania directory. So. Wow. Now, did yeah. uh, were, were some of these, especially some of the, the older and earlier authors, were they a little bit, uh, you know, surprised when, when you call up and say, hey, I want to talk about this uh, Star Trek novel you wrote like 30 years ago? I mean, was that, uh, how did that go over with them? Oh, they, they were, for the most part, thrilled to talk about the experience and just the fact that I was interested in their work. Right, um, right. Most of the authors I talked to just opened up and told me some wonderful stories. Yeah, the, and a lot of the stories I couldn't include in the book, unfortunately. But uh, oh, okay. Well, were, I, were most <laughs> of these authors were they? Uh, I, I know a lot of them were were other you know wrote other things. Some of them were science fiction authors and, and that. But what, what were most of them? Uh, I mean, were there were there still quite a few that didn't write a lot? Uh, beyond this, the Star Trek work that they did, or, or what? What was the general rule? I guess when you when you kind of take it all, take it all in, especially like the early Bantam books. Well, with the Bantam ones, um, Frederick Pohl was looking for authors with science fiction credentials. Okay, and that was what he wanted more than someone who say was a fan of Star Trek. Yeah. So that's why, if you read the Bantam novels, you see a lot of really 
weighty science fiction concepts more than really interesting things the characters are doing. True. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that, definitely. Yeah, they were more like, okay, here's Star Trek sort of slid into this other sci-fi kind of storyline. Mm-hmm. And if you actually, most of those, if you take the characters out and just put in generic people, it wouldn't change the storyline any. Mm-hmm. Right, um, okay. But they were but, all very happy to talk about what they had written and had some, uh, some sounds like some interesting stories. Uh, I read uh, well, a few, um, you had, uh, it sounds like in, in your uh, like forward to the book and your acknowledgments and things, it looks like you did get some help from some people like, you know, that were sort of, I, I call them the behind the scenes people on Trek, uh, folks like Richard Arnold. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, you know who was helpful and, and how that all worked out for you? It sounds like you had some interesting comments when I was reading through on that. Um, well, well, let me talk about Richard Arnold for a minute because he's sort of considered the villain of the publishing world. Um, right, I got was... that. Uh, I got that impression a little bit about <laughs> what I, when I was reading, and, and and it was actually a little bit of. Uh, uh, a news to me i hadn't been, hadn't quite realized just should have put it together but i hadn't realized you know he was um to let folks know who may not know richard arnold uh for quite a period of time uh i guess he started mostly in the in the next generation era but he was basically gene roddenberry's kind of assistant would that be an accurate uh description that, that's pretty accurate yeah and uh and why don't, why don't you tell us what his role was in the in the book area his role in the book area was Primarily, he read all the manuscripts and then had to approve them so then Pocket would publish them. He was sort of the person to do that so Gene Roddenberry wouldn't get overwhelmed with all the stuff that he had to do with producing the show. And, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was trying to help him out, read these things, tell, you know, tell us if it's good or not good or whatever, give us notes on it. Right. And there was a lot of controversy because... Richard Arnold would say, you know, you can't do these certain things where it would compromise the story and novels would, you know, end up not getting published. Or if a book was published, um, the author might get, there's a term blacklisted, you know, that you can never write a Star Trek novel again sort of thing. Okay. Um, Uh Lots of authors were very angry as a result of the stuff Richard Arnold said to them. And Richard Arnold, in his mind wanted just to keep Gene's vision alive. And a lot of the times, that was a source of conflict between mm-hmm. the editors of the books, the author, right. and yeah, because these, eventually these, Gene. Yeah, because it seems to me that these guys were trying to sort of expand a little bit on, on track, expand a little bit on the characters, and it sounds like he was what it sounds like to me he was kind of basically you know chopping them off at the at the knees and, and kind of stifling you know what they're trying to create in their creative uh you know juices and, and say well no you can't do this you can't do this you can't do this and you're left then with a pretty bland you know it sounds like story because of all that uh restriction on it right and i'll give you an example peter david um, who's a very prolific Trek author. Who's, who's a great author. I, I love uh, Peter David's yeah. stuff. Uh, Richard Arnold and him hated each other, and Richard Arnold would pretty much use any excuse possible to not approve a Peter David novel. And Peter David at one point even submitted stories under pseudonyms to ah. see if they would get through. But um, Peter David mentioned at one point when he was writing a Borg novel, 
that he had a female Borg. And Richard Arnold said there are no such thing as a female Borg. And of course, you know, now we have the Borg Queen and Seven of Nine and all this, but... And this was prior to that, I'm I'm guessing, you know, that it was like basically before, you know, they they did it all on on the regular show, and Peter David tried to introduce it in a novel. That's correct, and was said, no, you can't do that, because there's no such thing as a female Borg. And um, that's just one example of many that Peter told me. And, you know, of course, I, I interviewed Richard Arnold, and Richard was a very nice person to me, um, he was kind enough to give me contacts for several people, mm-hmm. and um, he certainly has. It's one of those he said, she said sort of things. So, right, right. Yeah, I, well, I tried to sort out, you know, the stuff I could definitely verify. Well, it's a little tricky. I mean, you've got to, uh, you know, they uh, that that's quite a bit of responsibility, and you never really even know how much. Gene Roddenberry or, or other people influenced what Richard Arnold have to, had to do. You know, maybe you know Gene had given him sort of a thing that said, "Well, you know, if it hasn't shown up on the show, I don't want anything really major, different in the novels." And maybe that was his edict and his, you know, Richard Arnold's prime directive for the novels, perhaps. But I, I always, you know, as I was sitting here listening to you and and looking over your book a little bit earlier. One thing that kind of struck me a little bit, I'm also a Star Wars fan, and I've read quite a bit of the what's called in the Star Wars world the expanded universe, the other novels. Right. And I think there, there's a huge difference between you know what they did in Trek, especially the earlier days of novels in, in the Trek world, versus what they did in the Star Wars world. I've always thought, in, in Star Wars at least, that they've had a lot more freedom to create, uh, you know, unique characters, different situations, create a lot of things that uh, really enhanced, I think, the whole Star Wars world and universe. Mm-hmm. And and I never really felt, except for maybe some of the very, very early Star Wars books, but I never really felt that they were being sort of hamstrung in what they were able to write. But it, it's interesting in Star Trek, you know, in Paramount, I think, was... And maybe Gene at some point, and Richard perhaps, but you know maybe they felt a lot more uh, wanted to keep a lot more control or a lot more protective of the situation. I, I don't know, but uh, I, I'm not sure if you're into Star Wars or the books there at all. But uh, I, do you know what I'm of, saying a little bit about yeah. that? And, and what do you think about that kind of uh, comparison? Um, I would say if you look at the early treks, I would sort of agree with you. But if you look at what's being published now. Um, they have expanded the universe a hundredfold. Oh, yeah, definitely They're, now. Yes, I agree completely. Yeah, you get, um, if you want to find out what happens on Deep Space Nine after the show ended, there's books for that. There's shows at the end of after the end of Voyager. Um, there's a series of books set on the Titan, Captain by Riker. Which I've read a few and, of those. They're pretty good. I really like that series yeah. so far. Yeah, and there's also a series called Vanguard, which is a space station that's set during the original series era with a nice little mystery. And Is that Vanguard the are... same thing that shows up in Titan? Is that supposed to be the same Vanguard? Do you know what I talk, I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, I'm not quite sure. I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Okay. That, that's the fun part about it. Like, well, is it or isn't it? That, that's yeah, the, the connection nice sometimes, the they do sometimes have these books sort of, somebody will have some situation and then somebody else will sort of take that uh, 
character or, or plot thread and, and expanded it in their own book. Right. And, and, and that's sort of the fun of reading them as well, especially after you've read them all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You do see connections, and there's even sort of a sense of the, the writers read each other's work, and so they sort of put little tributes to each other in their books. Yeah, and definitely. Occasionally, you'll even see a name of a character named after an author or an editor, which is also kind of fun. I have to ask uh, before I forget. I want this is one thing I had written down that I wanted to talk to you about, uh, and I didn't de- didn't really get a chance to look uh, look these specific uh, books up. But what do you think about the uh, what do you think of the William Shatner slash uh, you know the the help that he gets uh, on the on the novels that he's written centering around Kirk and that. What are you, what is your what are your thoughts about those and 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 what who were you able to talk to about those books? Well, uh, my my opinion of the Shatner books is some of them are really good and some of them are um, not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair uh... But um, he writes them with Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens who've right. written some of the best Star Trek novels in existence. Plus, they also were writers on the last season of Enterprise, which was the best season. Right, okay. And so, like, like I said, the first few novels especially were really interesting and got into Kirk's psyche. Yes, and I'd agree with the that. Later yeah. books, the later books just kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I didn't quite buy into them as much. Um, in the case of who I was able to talk to, Shatner once... Um, I had to pull some strings, but once I was able to pull those strings, um, I was actually able to talk to Mr. Shatner. And if you can imagine, you know, an episode of The Practice, or is it Boston Legal? I can never remember. I think, Um, yeah, Boston Legal, right, right. Denny Crane on there. I don't really watch it, but that's about all I know of it. (laughs) Well, he's Denny Crane in real life. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I was amazed. I thought, you know, it must be his persona and you know, that he does for the public. But no, he was that way in person as well. So I was quite surprised. Um, in terms of um, Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens, they declined to be interviewed. And huh. part of it had to do with the fact they didn't want to talk about the Shatner books, even though I told them I didn't want to talk to them about the Shatner books. Okay. But part of it also was a political, which is something I couldn't... I, it was something basically that they had a problem with that had nothing to do with me and I could not resolve for them. Oh, okay. And I was just the victim, so. Hmm, I see. They, you were just, maybe there was some little uh, controversy between how, you know, who knows, maybe it was a controversy on how much they got paid for the last book, or, or <laughs> could be a lot of things. But now I'm trying to recall, did they, have but, they But written, their books are great. Read them. Yeah, yeah, I definitely <laughs> agree with that. But I'm, well, which other books have they written uh, without Shatner in the Trek world? I'm trying to recall off the top of my head. Ha- they have, haven't they? Yes, they have. Um, Federation, which is what oh, I consider okay. the best Star right. Trek novel. Right, yeah. I, uh, I've Prime read Directive, Okay. With, which um, has Kirk breaking the Prime Directive, and then he's thrown out of Starfleet. Well, and, that never happens, right? That never happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in this book, it, it was, oh, I love Kirk and Disgrace, great, great stuff. Um, yes. And they also wrote one called Memory Prime, which um, was also a very good book. But Federation, if you're going to read any of their books, Federation's the one to pick up. Yeah, that's about the early days of it, right, if I remember? 
Um, it is a novel that combines the original series and Zephram Cochran and The Guardian, or, you know, from that episode. Right, okay. And also is a Next Generation book as well. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm almost positive I've got that one still around here and I've read it, but it's been a while, I think, so I'll have to pick that one up and read it again. So the um, well, while we're on that kind of a topic, why don't you uh, you know you you must have some favorites uh, in the you know Trek book world uh, as far as when you went through and did all this and and I know you you read or reread uh, you know a lot of Trek books so you know what would be some of the highlights maybe some things that people don't maybe always think of or, or go to what what do you really like uh, that's that's out there right now in, in the in Trek books? Well, we mentioned Peter David. And he wrote this wonderful book called Q Squared. Ah, yes, I, I love that one. I know that book. Yeah, um, for people not familiar with it, um, Trelane from the original series episode Square of Gothus, um, Peter David says, well, he's Q. And so he meets Q from Next Generation, and havoc ensues, and it's wonderful. Right, yes, exactly. And um, some of the new series that we talked about, like Titan and Vanguard, those are all terrific. And there's this wonderful book by Keith DeCandido called Articles of the Federation, which um, I like to tell people is Star Trek meets West Wing. Right. Yes, I know that one, too. I don't think I've read that one, but I, I've heard a lot of good things about it over, over the years. And um, if you're a fan of shorter books, there's a two books that have just come out that are set in the mirror universe and um, one of them is called Obsidian Alliances and the other one is called Glass Empires and they're both terrific good good well um, how about uh, on uh, still on the book subject but what about what do you think uh, one of my favorite uh, runs of Trek books has been the the new voyages you know where they basically have uh, a uh, 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 anthology of short stories set in the different Trek universes, you know, the different series and things. What do you think about those? Uh, and, Are you and, talking about Strange New Worlds? Well, both. They've got they've got kind of they had the early Bantam one, right? Where they those did those were the New Voyages, New yeah, Voyages, yeah. and then they mm-hmm. sort of redid that, or or it continued in. The new ones, which are what are those called again? The strange new worlds. Strange new worlds. Okay, mm-hmm. which are. Um, let, uh, let me explain what those are. Actually, okay, yeah, um, definitely explain it. Well, New Voyages was just short story anthologies, and those were edited by Sandra Marshak and Myrna Colbreth, and those are two authors that have a history for people who've read the books. You either love them or hate them. There's no in between with them. That's for sure. Yes. Um, yeah. Ten years ago. Pocket decided to have a contest where unpublished writers could write Star Trek short stories, and then the winning stories would get published in the book called Strange New Worlds. Right. And a lot of the writers that are big names today, like Dayton Ward, for example, um, he writes books with Kevin Dilmore, um, he started out in Strange New Worlds. And... It's kind of a little unprecedented, isn't it, to uh, to have them? These people can be even without an agent, right? Is that how it works? Or uh... That's correct. Basically, um, anybody who had an interest in writing a short story of Star Trek and sending it in, they were eligible, as long as they were over 18. Right. And lived in the U.S., that was the other restriction. But, okay. Um, yeah, so they've had 10 
anthology. The tenth one comes out this summer, and they just announced that the contest is over. So this will be the last anthology, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I didn't realize they were going to stop it. I, I those have been relatively popular, haven't they been? Um... Um, the sales each year have diminished, and it basically became something that cost way too much to produce. And so, yeah, they decided not to do it anymore. And the editor of the books, Dean Wesley Smith, decided to quit also. So it was sort of, well, th- this is really the time to stop doing them. Yeah, is the, is the uh, what do you think about the reason or the the cost that 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 kind of surprises me a little bit actually because I I would think like here's Peter David he's going to write a new Trek novel he's a pretty established author here's his, how much he you know his his fee for writing a novel is and then you've got all these unpublished authors and yes it's going to take some time for someone or some few you know group of people to look through them uh, and, and so forth and, and work on the you know which one's sifting them out, and that that part of it at least. But as far as the payment to those people, I would think they're getting some kind of fairly minimum payment. Uh, uh, I'm a, I guess I'm just a little surprised by that those would cost so much more than a, than a regular novel. I would call it. Well, they usually publish about twenty five stories in each one, so you have each person, you know, getting I think maybe ten cents a word or something like that, and then the top three one more money in addition to that. Oh, okay. All right. But then, of course, you got the printing, and because of the contest deadlines and when the book came out, it was rushed through a lot faster than normal books go okay. through. Okay, okay. Um, actually, I'll plug my upcoming article in Star Trek magazine. Sure, I, go I ahead, definitely. Whole, I wrote a whole history on the contest and interviewed a bunch of the writers. Oh, that's great. When is that going to be coming out? It'll be in the issue six, which I think is coming out in June. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm going to miss Strange New Worlds. Um, it was really a chance for people just to tell wonderful stories. Yeah, the the nice thing I always liked about those kind of books and, and you know, just a, a bunch of short stories is, you know, if you didn't particularly like one or whatever, well, you just turn the page and then there's another one, and, you know, and you could usually find quite a few gems, you know, in one book. Mm-hmm. So, some would be kind of on the low end, some would be kind of in the middle, they were okay, and then you'd find some that were just really great and you would be reading them and you'd say, man, that would be a cool episode. I wish they would have done something, you know, like that when when such and such show was on and uh it was uh it, you know it was nice to just be able to look at that and uh you get a lot of opportunities for some new ideas in in different trek uh of the different trek series or eras you want to call it and one of the fun things that they do in later volumes they created a category called speculations because it doesn't fit in any of the five shows it might have the characters from the five different shows doing the same story. And so they had to come up with this different category. Oh, okay. There were some great stories that they were telling. And, yeah, oh, <laughs> some of the best stories in the collections come from that category. Hmm, okay. Now, when did, when they only, that was started more recently, that they did those kind of stories in there? Um, yeah, they started doing that, I think, around the fifth year. Okay. And, and, of course, I don't have the books in front of me right now, but um, yeah, that if I remember correctly, yes. Now, did they ever take any of those when when some when Trek was being still, you know, when there were new shows? Did the, any of those people ever end up uh, 
any of those shows kind of or storylines end up in an you know episode type form do you, that you know of? No, no. Okay. I couldn't remember and, if if when that you know series first started and if any of those people were able to sort of use those ideas to pitch a story to to the actual production. You know, when when Trek, when Voyager or something was still on the air, or Enterprise. I, I do know some of the writers had opportunities to pitch to the shows, but um, none of the stories that that I have read actually ever made it into television production. And I think they did that on purpose. I think the editors of the books were talking to the TV production people and making sure that they were you know, not doing the same storyline and things like that. Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, the Star Trek, on on air at least, Voyager and so forth, and Enterprise, and even the earlier series, they sort of went through different cycles of where they were, you know, seemed to be really looking for outside talent and outside ideas and scripts and things to where I would call they sort of closed the doors almost a little bit and started writing you know, most of their staff writers and the people there on, on the lot were basically creating the stories, writing the scripts. And, you know, there's there's good and bad, I think, with both ways of doing that. But I, I think it, uh, you know, they, I think sometimes that's some lost opportunity because I think, I always think there's a lot of great ideas out there that never really make it past those big, uh, you know, the big gates on the lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I actually tried when Deep Space Nine was in production with the screenplay. Oh, you did? And, oh, okay. Yeah, nothing well, happened with it, but it was still fun to do. You wrote something up, submitted it, and basically got what I, uh, one, uh, a, a kind of a form reply of thank you, but, you know, type of thing. Did you ever actually talk to anyone or able to go in? Um, yeah, I never talked to anybody. I got the nice form rejection, but it was stamped with different people's names, so I do know that it didn't just go to the lowly assistant and then they rejected it. It oh, actually went okay. higher up the chain. So that that was sort of exciting to see. Yeah. Now, do you feel like offering or letting us know a little bit about what your idea was for that, or is that something you want to keep uh, for some uh, future possibility? Oh, no, that's fine. I'll, I'll tell you. The, the idea I had was um, that with the symbionts of the Trill, that the government, you have to be a joined person to be running the government. Okay. And so, and so the idea I had was someone who's high up in the government, even the president, comes to the station, there's an accident, and when Dr. Bashir goes in to operate to save the symbiont's life, there is no symbiont. Ah, so okay. The idea, you know, that he's a fake joined person and the whole ramifications of that. Right, whether they they you know kind of spill the information out there or do they get involved or they, what they yeah that's an interesting idea definitely yeah, uh, so it was fun to come up with but like I said nothing happened with it but that's right yeah you know they never really showed a lot besides Dax's character you know you, I don't think we ever really got a good feel for for their culture and their world really as much as maybe some of the other other characters so yeah that was that's, been an interesting sort of way I picked her when I came up with the idea because. At that time, she was a very boring character, and there was really nothing we knew about them. So I thought, well, let's give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, I I toyed with it a little bit. I never got down to writing anything. I have always had ideas uh, in, you know, but it's it's a big undertaking for uh, for 
were probably like ended up, you know, just, well, thanks for your submission. And, uh, and they did eventually kind of stop even accepting things, didn't they? At some point, yes, was it, was it with, during Voyager's run? Uh, I'm trying to recall when that exactly happened. I don't know if you know. I, I think you're right. It was sometime during the middle of Voyager's run that they stopped taking. Right. And I don't think Enterprise ever did, did they? No. That I, I can think of. So then maybe there's something there. You know, that was the show that didn't last uh, as long as the others. And, uh, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I loved uh, the last season of Enterprise and when Manny Cotto came on and uh, how they got into some of the, these earlier original series ideas and kind of brought them into the show and lots of good arcs and character development. So it's uh, it's kind of got cut off when it was uh, really getting going, kind of hitting its groove then. Yeah, I was sad to see it go. I really was, because it, it was finally a show I was looking forward to watching on a weekly basis. Right. I think there were so many people by that point that had kind of just sort of kind of tuned off from it and, and had stopped watching, even fans that maybe were, who had watched uh, most of the Star Trek series before that, you know, even some, a lot of those had kind of tuned out a bit. So it's a, it's a little unfortunate. So, uh, well, what else about the book haven't we covered that you'd like to mention here while, uh, while I've got you on? Well, I was going to say, since you mentioned the short stories earlier, mm-hmm. my book does cover the short stories as well. And I didn't want to just cover the novels because the universe is so wide with all those short stories. So I included all of those as well. You get the summaries of them as well as interviews with the writers of the short stories. Yeah, and it's great. And I have to also say that there is a... Uh a really neat, uh, and I'll ask you a little bit about how this was done and how much this you did or, or if anyone helped you, but there's a very cool timeline uh, in the book. Uh, in, in I guess it's in the back of the book, sort of like in the index area, but it basically has the uh, a timeline of, I guess you could call it, you know, the Star Trek universe going back way in time and then placing each of these uh, stories and novels when they occurred. So how did that come about? And well, I knew that uh, there was this group that called themselves the Timeliners, and when I was negotiating the contract, I said to my editor that, you know, this would be a good time to have a timeline in the, you know, in the book, and these guys have done such a great job, I wouldn't want to do that myself. Yeah. You should just let them put it in. Right. And, um, yeah, so that that's what happened. So I have those guys to thank. Yeah, that's... It's really nice to have just because, you know, like, did this book take place before this, you know, event? Was it between what movie and what episode or what series? And it really places everything, uh, you know, in a nice, neat list so you can kind of figure that out. Because that's kind of difficult sometimes. You you know, you you're, you see all these novels and, and you're wondering, you know, what era are these in? And I, I'll tell you, I'll, you know, frankly, sometimes the only way I can kind of figure it out is from the cover art. <laughs> Which is sometimes not all that uh, accurate, even. You know, sometimes it's, it, it's a little, you know, oh, what does the uniforms look like? Okay, those uniforms look like they did in about the middle of the run of Star Trek Next Generation. You know, when they went from one style uniform to the other, and, and then you're really trying to figure out, okay, did this happen before, you know, this, you know, Seven of Nine came on Voyager, or before or after, or something like that. So, you know, it's nice to have that, that you can just flip open to and find out when these books uh, took place. So I um, Go ahead. Th- there's, some, there's some books that jump around in time so much that yeah, it's that's trying true. to come up with a decent 
timeline for just that one book. That's that Star Trek and their whole, you know, jumping, you know, uh, you know, time traveling in Star Trek is is like you know us walking across the street sometimes. So it's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's yeah, it is it is tricky because they do that quite a bit. I think I'm trying to remember there was one book that starts back in like you know primordial ooze on you know earth or something you know and then it's like it goes up through the 24th century so so where do you stick that one you know or here's my well, ancestor there, and there's this book called uh crucible mccoy promise uh-huh. of shadows okay it, it's by david r george and it looks at mccoy during the episode city image forever so you got you know the time guardian and everything else but it looks at his life if he did save Edith, and he's never rescued. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I think I remember that one. Yeah, a very neat idea for that. Yeah, it's an amazing book, and it basically follows two separate timelines. So, yeah, I'm so glad that these Timeliner guys exist because (laughs) it's a tough job. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's... uh... Well, you know, that's the nice thing about what's out there on the Internet and that, and there are these people that are passionate enough to do this kind of stuff with, you know, they they just do it. There's nobody that's, you know, it's not like they go in and punch in their, you know, clock at the old timeline uh, workplace on Monday mornings and and start working on the good old Star Trek timeline. I mean, these people do this stuff because they love it and and they just want it out there and share it with with the world. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's sort of brings back to my book as well um i have a full-time job i have a family and i it was difficult to find time to research the book find these people read the books write the book um I roughly how long how long uh, roughly would you say from when you really got going on it uh, until you until you kind of like okay that's it here's the stamps i'm done um it was two years from signing the contract to finishing it Okay. Now, when you signed, and, did you have a deadline? I mean, were, were they saying, okay, this has got to come out in, like, you know, the 40th anniversary year, or what was, is that what it, how that, it worked? That, yeah, I signed the contract in 2004 with the idea that it would come out in the summer of 2006. And then when I turned in the original manuscript, it was decided to be delayed a few months because they thought it'd sell better closer to Christmas. So then... That opened up about another 40 books to include because we wanted, when the book came out, we wanted it to be as up-to-date as possible. So I thought it was done once. <laughs> and come to find out, I wasn't. Now, what, um, one other thing I was going to ask you would, would be about uh, Star Trek conventions. And I, I, would, I was wondering if you have, uh, you know, if you've gone to those before you wrote this book and after, or do you go to these things and try to uh, sell your book and sign it? And how, how, what do you think about the, the Star Trek con world, I guess? Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Star Trek conventions. It's fun meeting some of these actors. Um, I went to them before I wrote the book. And after, <laughs> most of the conventions that are run by Creation, yes. they don't really they don't really promote the Star Trek books per se. That's mostly the shows and the films. Yeah, I've uh, I don't so, think I'm trying to remember. I've been to quite a few, and I'm trying to recall if they've ever had like a, a you know like a uh, an author panel very often, or if they have, I I, I can't recall. Yeah, I I if they do, it's extremely rare. Right. 
Um, it's mostly the fan-produced conventions that promote the writers more. Um, and I've been to a couple. Uh, Shoreleaf, which is in Baltimore in July, is the one that um, has a lot of the Star Trek authors come, and that is a terrific one to go to. Okay. Um, and I was actually at Comic-Con in San Diego last summer promoting oh, the book. okay. And... Was that your, have you been to Comic-Con uh, in the past? Was that your first? No, that or? was my first experience with it. It was wonderful. Yeah, I keep meaning uh, to want to go, you know, each year, and I, it's just like, you know, another year goes by, and I something comes up, can't make it, but I have to get there sometime. It's not every day you ride a subway train into the convention center with the Stormtrooper and Darth Vader. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's quite a, <laughs> a uh, it's quite an experience, and, and so you, you really enjoyed that, and... Uh, you were able to uh, meet some of the people and and talk to uh, you know people that maybe wanted to buy your book and and that that's cool that's really neat yes and I actually met a gentleman at the comic con who has my name and he's a comic book store owner and uh, that that was an amazing experience looking up and seeing someone wearing my name tag and not looking like me but uh, yeah it, it's writing this book has opened up. So many wonderful opportunities, and I've had the op- opportunity to meet lots of wonderful people. That's great. That's great. And get to do shows like this. Yeah, well, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this. The uh, it's um, it's quite you know this this book is what is it? How many how many total books did you look at? I mean, I'm sure that's another thing people always will want to know. What it, what is the total? People, um, if you include the e-books that come out monthly. Um, I counted about 550. Okay. So I'd say 550 plus. And it's like like roughly 750 pages or so. It looks like I'm just mm-hmm. flipping through it here. Yeah, and then the timeline adds 100 right. plus to it. Right. It's a. Yeah, uh, and it's when a I say nice... 550 plus, I'm not including short stories in that. So if you just want to say stories, it's closer to a thousand. Right, yeah, because each of those short story anthologies would 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 you know be anywhere like fifteen, twenty, twenty five stories or something. So, right, it's um. So anything, uh, anything really uh, surprising? At, you know, after you had the whole experience for for doing this for two years, or was it? Uh, w- if you had to kind of go back, I mean, would you would you have thought it was as much effort and work as it was, or, or what did you? I guess I'm asking, uh, did you know what you were getting yourself into when you? Uh, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. I ha- I had no idea how difficult it was going to be to work on it, but it was a labor of love. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's an amazing book. Like I said, it's. Uh, uh, for the for the money, I mean, it, this thing is is for the Trek fan, and I know that there are quite a few people that listen to uh, the podcasts and on the forums and other people I've met uh, in you know and just you know friends of mine that are Trek fans that are book you know readers, and I think the two things go together you know a little bit. I mean, I, the you know Star Trek in general is kind of a little bit of a I hate to use the word intellectual because it makes it sound kind of, I don't know, in, you know, not the way I want to explain it, but I guess all I'm saying is I've always noticed that people that are Star Trek fans tend to be readers, tend to like books. And, and mm-hmm. for, the, for that, you know, the combination of the two, uh, this, this thing is like an invaluable reference, I think. I just, uh, 
like I said at the earlier on, I'm just I was so so amazed. I'm like I can't believe nobody's ever done that before. You know, there's Star Trek technical manuals, blueprints. You know where all the bathrooms are on you know the Enterprise whatever version or letter and everything. And and, and here is you know all this great uh, Trek literature out there, and nobody's kind of you know really put it together in, in a nice neat form like this. Were there um. Were there websites that you consulted a lot? Like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, Memory Alpha. I'm trying to think of some of the other, you know, Star Trek, uh, you know, Wikipedia things. Uh, how, how much did you use the, those kind of references? I actually didn't, and I did that on purpose. I wanted to um, not have something come back and say, well, you used my site extensively, you know. Sure, you right, I can understand that. Yeah, you, you want to, yeah. like... You know, hey, give me my cut, I guess. And, uh, yeah, that's a little tricky, especially these days. So, uh, with... Yeah, I, I, I avoided all those sites when I was writing the book. Yeah, that's probably for the best. But a very tempting and, uh, thing. Those are great sites, though. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, tell us a little yeah, bit one, about... One thing I... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the thing I should tell you is one thing I did learn about doing this. Most of the Star Trek fans don't read the novels. And I was surprised to discover that. And that was another reason why I hope if people pick up my book, it will lead them to pick up some of the novels. Yeah, that's... Uh, Star Trek lives in the books. Yeah, it's a little... Uh, I, I know what you mean about that. I mean, I, I've maybe had a little bit uh, different experience with it. I, I agree. I don't disagree with that that statement in general i mean i think people read less anyway these days than maybe they used to but uh the there are a lot of fans that just watch the shows watch the movies and have never picked up one of the novels and and i I have to say just my little tiny tiny pitch for it but i think if you pick up a couple you know some of the things we've talked about and, and you know and look in this book or look on other places just go to borders and and if you pick a couple of them up you'll find that they're uh it's it's just as much fun, or even maybe more than than watching a, uh, one of the episodes or or, or one of the movies, because they you know you really get a chance in a book to really dig into a subject or a situation more than you do in a forty five minute TV show or even in one of the movies. And uh, you know I've always loved to read these kind of things, and it's uh, especially these days right now with uh, with no new Trek on on the air. I would agree with you, yes. Um, the the books, they've created a whole new universe, and if you're a fan of the shows and fans of the movies, there is some great reading out there. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and it's a, it's a way to kind of, like I said, you know, you keep you get to kind of reconnect with some old friends, too, and and look at some things that maybe never were explored in, in any of the various series. Uh, I, w- I did want to mention, uh, before we wrap things up, a little bit about your uh, your website, and, and why don't you tell people a little bit about that and where you can be found on the Internet. Um, the website is voyagesofimagination.com, named after the book. And I was actually asked to um, do a site like this so to sort of keep Star Trek book news up to date with some of the new covers, maybe do an interview with some of the authors or two. Basically, try and keep the book a little up to more up to date by just going to this website. But since I also do a lot of other things, I'm uh, 
a thriller reviewer for Library Journal, and I do a lot of author interviews in that genre for different magazines. Okay. I'm going to okay. include links to those things as well. Cool. All right. That's, and there's uh, also an email address there you can contact me if you have any questions. That's or just great. Yeah, one thing I was yeah. going to mention, yeah. the um, I, I love the, the cover art for your book. For this, uh, they have basically they've taken sort of like a, a kind of like a wormhole looking thing and taken a lot of the covers for all the different novels and put them in this sort of circular pattern. It, it's it's very cool. How did that? Uh, who who was who came up with the concept of what's on the cover there and how did that come about? Um, the author the the artist's name is Mark Gerber. Okay, and he has a studio in New York. And he freelances for Pocket. And when we were talking about my cover, I sort of had an idea of one of those photo mosaics where if you took the book covers, you know, mushed them together, and then you'd have, if you'd look, you know, from a distance, you'd see an image of the Enterprise or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Right. And he couldn't make it work. And then he came up with this idea. And my editor said, Oh, you're going to love this. And then he described it to me. I'm like, a black hole? What? What? And, <laughs> and it just made no sense to me. And then when um, the artwork was done and I got sent a copy of it, I opened it up and I was, I was just thrilled to death. Yeah, it's, it's I, a really great, great, uh, great looking piece. I mean, it would be almost nice as a, some kind of a poster or something like that. It's, uh, it's very cool to, uh, to look at a lot of these. Uh, covers that they've done for all these novels uh obviously this is nowhere near uh the number of books that are in the you know in the book that you wrote i don't know how many you can kind of see on the cover art but it's very nice i like i like what they did it really catches your eye in the store i have to say i will i will tell you that there's only about 15 percent of the covers in that image oh okay of all of them and the reason for that is there's no Bantam covers for starters, but most of the original covers they did not have digital images of. So if you actually take the cover and if you you know put your finger on one of them, and then if you go to the opposite end of the book cover, you will find that cover again. So he had to use a lot of those covers twice, even maybe three times. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, but I... where he faced them, you can't. You don't really notice it. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that. The um, I was on Amazon.com one time. I did a uh, I did a podcast, and I was talking about the the first Star Trek anthology book. I think I mentioned it, uh, New Voyages, and mm-hmm. it's um, I and on Amazon. You're probably way familiar with this, being a librarian and everything. But I, l- I wanted to look up the book and get a little more info on it, and I noticed they didn't have the cover art at all. So I went over to my trusty little scanner. I, I pulled the, sh- the book off my shelf, and it's in fairly okay shape. And I scanned it in and uploaded the, uh, the picture to, uh, to Amazon for them to have it there so that people could see what it looked like. And I was a little surprised that they didn't have that. But, you know, that's an old Bantam book, and I, I guess a lot of that stuff is, is not, uh, I don't know, not a, well, it's obviously not in print anymore. You know, I, I used to haunt and still do occasionally haunt, like, used bookstores for some of these older books. Uh, and sometimes you can find them at the conventions even. There'll be a, a little box tucked underneath somebody's table of, of Star Trek novels and, you know, something like that. You can get them pretty inexpensively. And it's, um, but I was a little surprised by, 
you know, some of the stuff that they're, the cover art wasn't even up on like something like Amazon.com. Yeah. Um, speaking of having to scan images, um, if you open the book, you'll notice that each entry has the original cover. Yes, yes. And if you look at the older books especially, that's out of my collection. Um, oh, okay. I had to borrow a friend's scanner, and uh, I learned how to do a lot of stuff with this book. Um, scanning images was one of them. Right, So, right. yeah, most of those images, especially for the Bantam and Pocket through, like, 85, those are, were all in my collection. Yeah, did they have any thought of doing uh, a color version of it all? The, uh, it would have been way too expensive. Yeah, to do a color version. Yeah, that's what it's. Um... Well, anyway, uh, I don't want to keep you much longer. We've talked for a long time about all this. I'm not sure. Is there anything else, Jeff, that you'd like to mention about um, about your book or anything else that you've got going? Uh, you have any uh, ideas for? Are you going to write any other books, either in the, in the Star Trek area or or otherwise? Well, um, as a result of this book, one of the authors I interviewed, we're actually writing a book together. And we've already pitched a couple Star Trek novel ideas. We're writing a young adult mystery, and then we're going to pitch another Star Trek novel. Well, that's so, great. That's great. Is there a, yeah. Do you have any timeline on that? You're still just sort of in the early stages of those? Well, we're... Hoping we're almost done with the young adult novel. In fact, I would say within the next couple of weeks we'll be finished with it. Okay. And then, of course, it's just my agent shopping it around for us. But uh, the Trek novel, um, Star Trek universe, and the publishing industry in general are pretty slow. So uh, yeah, yeah. I would hope I check the website, and uh, if something is announced, I'll definitely post it on there. Okay, great, great. Well, um, I just want to wrap this up. We can chat a little informally uh, after I stop the recording, but uh, I just want to say I really, uh, really love talking to you today about your book, uh, Star Trek Voyages of Imagination. Uh, it's by Jeff Ayers and can be found you know, all over the place, I guess. You don't really sell it on your site. You can find it on Amazon or Borders. Um, yes, it's available everywhere. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book, and for, for Star Trek fans and for those that are either into the books or maybe if you're not and you want to you know, flip through it and find a book that might interest you in a particular uh, era of Star Trek, this, this is definitely the book for you. So uh, thanks a lot, Jeff, and, and, and just hang on. I'll be right back. Hey, thank you very much. Okay, everyone, I uh, hope you've... Uh, Really enjoyed that interview with Jeff, uh, who wrote the uh, book Star Trek Voyages of Imagination. Uh, it was a great time talking to him. We even talked probably, I don't know, another hour after I uh, stopped recording. We talked about a lot of current science fiction on television and, and movies a little bit and things like that. So a uh, very interesting guy. And, uh, you know, he, he grew up in a similar time to myself, so I think we have very similar uh, thoughts on Trek and science fiction in general. So it was a great time to talk to Jeff. We'll have to check in with him again in the future. And uh, speaking of the future, the future of Treks in Sci-Fi, no, the show's not going anywhere. But as I mentioned, uh, I don't know, last week's podcast or recently, I have a business trip to Taiwan coming up uh, very soon. It looks like it's going to be uh, May 6th, the week from today, actually. Uh, I'll be leaving uh, and probably won't be back until May 18th is the schedule right now. So what this means for the podcast is this. I will be doing uh, a couple of things before I leave. One, there will probably almost 100% likely there will be a show this midweek, a special show. So 
look for that uh, Wednesday night. Uh, possibly Thursday morning it might come out, but probably Wednesday night. I've got another interview lined up that should be very interesting. Next weekend, it will either be released very late Saturday next weekend or, or early Sunday. I'm going to be doing another regular podcast, and I'm going to be covering an episode of the series Enterprise, I think. Uh, check the website uh, main page out for what which episode I'm going to look at. I'll post that up very shortly, what I'm going to be covering next weekend on the show. The following weekend, if everyone is still with me, uh, which will be the weekend I am probably not going to be in the country even, I really have no choice. There will be one week we will miss a podcast. I know, I know. Uh, tried not to uh, get too upset, but uh, Rico, you know, it doesn't happen very often. It's a pretty rare occurrence, but I can't figure out really a way of doing something. It's There's a slight possibility I might try to, if I can get the right equipment with me, record a little something when I'm over there and, and try to upload it to the website and that and so forth. But I, I'm not really counting on that, and I hate to promise things that I can't deliver it on. So there's probably going to be a week, which will be uh, uh, the weekend of a, uh, the May 13th-ish in there, Mother's Day weekend, that I won't be around and there won't be a podcast. But the following weekend when I'm back, which will be May, I think that'll be around May 20th, there will definitely be a show. And I'll tell everybody about what my second trip to Taiwan was like and uh, and have a lot of things to, to catch up on then. Uh, so uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting time, and I, I hope everyone will bear with me. I will. I don't know if I'll be checking the forums and the website as often when I'm in Taiwan, but I will try to do that. So, so that's the future. Uh, I will get through it, and I think it'll be interesting. And I'm going to take a lot of pictures when I'm over there and post them up online. So that'll always be fun, and it's kind of an adventure. You know, the the world is such a diverse place. When I, you know, you get to go on these kind of trips to to different areas, it's. Uh, it's almost like exploring strange new worlds, uh, you know, using that kind of catchphrase. But um, so anyway, that's the that's the future there. On the collectible front, the thing I wanted to to point out to everyone is uh, the website again uh, that uh, we interviewed uh, George, who works at KM Collectibles, uh, a few weeks back. Uh, they have a really great deal right now. He has a great deal on these Star Trek, and I'm sorry, Star Trek. Excuse me. Star Wars mini helmets that Master Replicas is putting out. You can get the set of three, which they're doing the uh, X-Wing helmet, uh, X-Wing pilot helmet, uh, Stormtrooper mini helmet, and Boba Fett's helmet, uh, the set of three for uh, a very good price, uh, the best I've seen, and uh, it's it's a really great deal. So check out KM Collect, and uh, you can find out all about that there. He's got a lot of other cool collectibles as well. And uh, his price is really good on the helmet, so the Trek SF2 code won't work on that. But you can use the Trek SF2 code on other items that George has there. So check out KM Collectibles uh, online, and there are links to that uh, on my website at treksf.com and the forums and so forth. So that's uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. It, it was definitely longer, but I think it was a lot of fun, uh, really I want to thank Jeff for taking the time to talk to me and everyone else listening to the podcast. And I will see everyone uh, this week Wednesday on the show and next weekend as well. So take care until then. Bye-bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. (laughs) 
This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.